Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Your Successful Secrets, where we make action your greatest habit. I am your host, Ian Tolson, and to begin, I want to give you some friendly reminders. I believe in you. I know you are capable of more. Life is a gift. Value what you have in your life. You can make a difference. Your past does not define you. Things aren't always as they appear ask more questions. You are strong. You are talented. You can make others' day better. Even if you don't find these true right now or today, maybe you do, but overall they are simply friendly reminders. Keep being awesome, my friends, and thank you for listening to this episode. Cheers. Welcome, everyone. I am so stoked for today. We have one of my favorite people in the world on here today is <laughs> a uh, big welcome to Matt Holloway. He had his birthday yesterday, which he celebrated with his wife, Corey Addison, and uh, his daughter, daughter Harper. And he was an English teacher over at Whitefish High School. And the first day I met Holloway, I knew I needed to know this man on a very personal level. Over the years, he became the leader of the first and only skateboard club over at Whitefish High, where we raised money to take a trip out to Oregon to all the different skate parks, or a large majority of them in that area. He taught me how to carve bowls, skate tranny, and has been there for me when others couldn't have been. Holloway, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing well. Thank you, Tolson. <laughs> my pleasure. Glad to be talking to you. It's fun. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> how is... Yeah. How was your birthday? What was, uh, what was your favorite part? Uh, it was wonderful. Got up mm-hmm. super early, um, did my usual routine and mm-hmm. hung out with my kids, went up for a walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, it finally rained. It's been really dry around here and then mm-hmm. got just a good pouring rain the night before. And so everything was dripping wet and mm-hmm. <clears throat> the smell of the firs and the spruce and the cedar was just almost overwhelming. It was so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went for a, a walk and then came back sopping wet and hung out by the fire. And mm-hmm. um, then we had a little little party later in the day with cake and all that good stuff. And mm. it was great. Um, my favorite things. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, yeah that's so cool that you have such a great family too you must love spending every minute with them (laughs) they're fun they're uh Mm -hmm. they're fun humans i'm lucky (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so i'm i'm curious i don't exactly remember how skate club came about did was it something that you thought up or was it like you and Brown like brought the idea together or? Um, really it, it surfaced. Um, mm-hmm. I was just at the skate park all the time after school and would mm-hmm. see the same, you know, dare to call them kids anymore, but the same <laughs> homies and homegirls at the skate park, um, you being one of them. And, mm-hmm. And I don't really remember what the exact impetus was, but one day I remember looking around and thinking, huh, these kids don't really have anything to do with their school. Most of them really dislike school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's such a 
a bunch of busy work and time consuming nonsense when they could be creative, they could be doing all these other things that matter so much. And, um, and I was a young teacher at the time. And so, you know, I was fairly invested in the, the institution as far as trying to be a place that was inclusive and a place that people wanted, you know, something people wanted to be a part of. Um, mm -hmm. And so I kind of looked around one day and I was like, why don't I make a skate club? And then <laughs> all these kids will actually be like part of something formal, you know, mm -hmm. at the school and um, had to get it approved by the principal and the superintendent. And mm -hmm. they just, they, they thought the idea was great and signed oh, off nice. on it because it was a way for them. I mean, they knew that none of you, I mean, none of the kids played sports, you know, mm -hmm. none of the kids were involved in any of their clubs, activities that were sanctioned by the school. Um, so it was a way for them to, to realize that a demographic of their students was, was actually being reached in a, like mm -hmm. I said, in a formal way, um, instead of informally just us hanging out or whatever. And, and then I, you know, my next thought really with it was how can we do some good for the community and not mm -hmm. just I don't know what the heck's a skateboard club going to do other than hang out and skateboard. And we already do that. And so, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so then we started having those meetings, you know, and, um, and we ended up getting the recycling bins put at the skate park. Um, mm. that was, you know, that was sort of our, I mean, it was kind of a, it was kind of tough to even figure out how the heck we were going to get back to the community without doing something very boring and <laughs> something that already hasn't been done. I mean, we right. could, adopt a stretch of highway we could go read at the old folks home or something and not that those things aren't necessary and but everybody's already doing that stuff whitefish mm -hmm. there's so much philanthropic activity and um mm -hmm. and all the businesses get hit hard too you know in town for donating money and this and that and i knew that was going to be a, a tough road uphill was to generate something so i thought why not just do something that's just service-based and value-based and mm. and i also remember going to the skate park every single day and being like okay there's like 80 <laughs> cans in the trash can like there's mm. to be a fairly progressive town um there's zero recycling happening here and so somehow that idea came up but then you know we went in front of the we had to go in front of the the uh parks and rec whitefish parks and rec department and proposed the whole idea and mm. they were cool with it luckily i mm -hmm. mean why wouldn't they be they get free recycling but then we had to go raise the money mm -hmm. to pay uh the recycling company to come by and switch stuff out and mm -hmm. and do their part of it and so that's where we did the original king of the road event um, and that did involve going and getting you know sponsored donations for certain tricks at certain skate parks but mm -hmm that's when we did that, that first day where we went to Polson and um, I think it was just, was it just Polson and back that one day, that first day? I think so. Cause we I went out like... breaking his arm on the spine and Polson, which we didn't even know about at the time. Oh. We just knew he was really hurt. And I was like, Oh my stars. This is like, of course, yeah. how my first, first <laughs> event, event would go, but you know, yeah. you got to pay to play and skateboarding uh -huh. is uh slamming is part of the deal and uh, mm -hmm. dar of course just got up and bounced right back up and kind of laughed yeah. and was like oh but it really does hurt i'm like oh no for him yeah. to say that it's good but that was so fun i mean and, and you know we made those huge <laughs> lists of tricks the easy medium hard and mm -hmm. and we filmed it and you know everyone the previous weeks had gone around town asking businesses and humans to donate for the certain tricks and the amount of money Mm -hmm. commensurate to the level of difficulty of the trick and and just like skateboarding in general um what was fun about it to me is we all had stuff that we were good at and stuff that we weren't good at mm -hmm. there was always ways for us each to push ourselves and you know and get each other hyped in the process mm -hmm. and so i mean for you to do a big 
you know, kickflip over a garbage can is child's play for me to even ollie the garbage can is, um, <laughs> you know, hazardous to my health. And so there, there are ways of us, it was just really fun, um, us, each of us pushing each other. I mean, that's one thing that's so fun about skateboarding is the, the level of, you know, friendship and stoke that, that can be involved and, <laughs> and should be involved in every session. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes someone doing the simplest trick is, the most insane part of the session because that's mm-hmm. really difficult for them or something they worked really hard yeah. on and mm-hmm. that moment of fun. And, um, uh, I, I don't know. And so King of the road, you know, it was certainly <laughs> that as well. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember at the end of the day thinking that was really cool. We all pushed ourselves. We all had a blast and I mean, mm-hmm. what, what better time is there in skateboarding, you know, and then we got recycling at the skate park. So that was cool. That is, I always remember those, those trash cans being there. Or not the trash cans, but the cycling bins there yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were there for a while while we paid for it, and then once everything kind of dissolved, they they vanished again. But yeah, uh, but now there's the permanent. The city finally put permanent recycling in, so we didn't have to oh, do it. And like nice. it could have been in the first place. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, it's been and there they have the the bear, you know, the bear proof trash cans, and so mm-hmm. it's good. To say. City finally, you know, put their put their money into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool and then with the uh the Oregon trip did i recall that that the school didn't know about that or is that i'm trying to remember well, the school totally knew about it they had to approve it and everything oh okay uh, yeah no i would have been in deep trouble had i just well i guess i could have just loaded y'all all in there but it wouldn't have been a <laughs> sanctioned like <the> skate club <laughs> okay. uh-huh. um once <clears throat> the the trip from oregon or trip to oregon idea surfaced that's when i knew i needed a a co-pilot and mm. so i immediately looked to brown and said do you want to be skate coach brown and he was like hell yeah and so he had to go, <laughs> you know he had to get fingerprinted and they had to do the background check and all the stuff they do with teachers and sub- essentially he had to do the substitute teaching form mm. and um and then you know he knew a lot of those people who we whom we hung out with over mm-hmm. there in oregon and he was a big part of connecting to red and oh uh, and um Mark Scott, you know, and Danielle and mm-hmm. in Lincoln City there. And, um, but other than that, it was just this idea to go do something fun and, and uh-huh. skate trips rule. And yeah, you know, we still do them as old, <laughs> old people now and they're more fun as ever. We just, just did a two day skate trip down to the Bitterroot and back through Missoula. And I took my son Addison on his first, first trip and hmm. he heard lots of <clears throat> foul language at the skate park as people were. <laughs> and slamming and everything you know and uh uh, he and i ate pizza in the hotel room and i mean it was just a (laughs) i'll never forget it you know and he won't either we had such a good time so i just thought why not take these these skate club kids and let's go do something real and plus i mean all y'all are rippers and yet you know Uh most of you have never like skated anywhere other than the streets of whitefish and kalispell you know Mm -hmm. and and i think we skated like I don't remember the total number of skate parks, but oh, it was so many. It was over 20, you know, in essentially like a five or six day span of time or something like that. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was mm-hmm. three or four a day at times there. And, mm-hmm. um, and I remember getting back to Whitefish after that trip and, and even feeling like our park was small, you know, yeah, I remember that. that it was actually, Oh, I can actually skate Whitefish park now that I, I mean, just in one <laughs> week of time skating that much, you just, you progress and your comfort level and everything is just, is awesome you know and mm-hmm. um but yeah i remember the duffel bag flying off the roof as we 
paralleled <clears throat> the Hood River in Oregon, Columbia River, <laughs> Hood River Gorge there. It's so windy and having to like pull off on the side of the highway and like lash that thing back on there and being just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm responsible for these kids right now. <laughs> Brown and I at that. Yeah. And, uh, but it was awesome. I mean, we, you know, camped in those little KOA cabins, night mm-hmm. camp, stayed in those KOA cabins and we did have a hotel room or two and I don't know. It was fun. There's yeah. camaraderie that comes naturally out of those sorts of trips. And I mean, I'll be friends with all of y'all till, till the end, you know, so, <laughs> and I still pretty much everybody from that trip. So pretty neat. That's awesome. But it was <laughs> definitely a sanctioned trip. No, they, I mean, even like, I think the superintendent, well, I mean, he may have not had to sign up on it at that point, but the principal did. Uh, okay. Uh, no, it had to be fully approved and I had to get signatures from your parents and, uh-huh. So it was legit. Yeah, it was such a cool trip. I mean, going out there to all the different parks and it was so fun because it was a variety of tranny and street at each one of them and then skating with everybody else too. And it was cool because even being at Reds and he is such a massive bull. Oh my gosh, that thing was so intense. Terrifying. Yeah. I remember leaving there and being like, that was more like a carnival ride or something. Than <laughs> right. Avoiding death or something. Seriously. Uh-huh. I remember you had your box um, that mm-hmm. had all your food in it, your rations. Oh, yeah. 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 We'd joke about like, well, if all goes to hell, we'll live out of Colson's box for like three weeks. <laughs> that was something funny. And then I also had like a per diem for you all. It was like five yep. bucks for breakfast, five for lunch, and then like 10 for supper or something. That's, uh-huh. you know, that your parents had to pay a certain amount and that would, you know, divvy, divvy it up. And I think it was like the first gas station we stopped at, like, which was pretty early in the morning. I think it was at St. Regis, you know, getting on the freeway and, uh-huh. I remember you came out with like a big thing of whoppers and like uh, all of y'all blew like your entire like lunch breakfast and lunch money on candy. Like, <laughs> gas station. And I was like, well, this is going to be a learning experience. We tried to tell them not to do that. They didn't, uh, they'll figure it out. And then, yeah, by like three o'clock, everybody's like, I'm starving. And I'm like, eat your candy. <laughs> like what candy? Like, <laughs> hours you know and it's like well maybe you ought to think about that next time <laughs> and i remember that was really also when you know everybody had little mp3 players uh, they had just kind of surfaced and uh and ray bradbury's book fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. the the wife mildred totally checks out and she checks out to external stimulus um and it, that book is set in kind of present day today it was published in 1950 or 51 and oh wow and um but in, in the, her ears, she'd put these things in her ears and she would just zone out and check out to the world and they called them huh. seashells. Huh. So y'all would be back there with your headphones. Uh. Now it's ubiquitous that you see that, but back then right. it really wasn't. And, and I would like, you know, holler over my shoulder, you know, do you want Chinese or Mexican for supper? There'd be no response. <laughs> and then Brown would ask once and there'd be no response. And then I would just slam on the brakes and you all would smash into the seat. <laughs> pull them out and, what, what, what? and I'd be like Mexican or Chinese for supper. And then I'd get responses. But nonetheless, it was, there were some memorable moments. Yeah. Good times. Uh, do you remember the time we were at that? I forget which restaurant it was, but uh, Eller over the loudspeaker changed his name and they're like jesus can you come get your food jesus well, and, uh, oh what's his name um 
that was that was the other trip we did that i think it was the second king of the road trip um uh-huh. and then morrison <laughs> was, uh, what's his first name uh he said he was he was mohammed Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, these kids. Man, I kind of put my head in my hands like, oh, and everyone's like staring at us. And, you know, and then the next one is Jesus. And I was like, oh my Lord. Like, it was over the top at that point. And so funny. Uh, and that's when Bryce Meehan got dared to eat the, the bottle of, drink the bottle of Tabasco sauce. And he did. And then he ran to the restroom and, I think you're up for something horrible. Probably. You got to learn, you know, I can't yeah. shield you from, <laughs> from all the obvious <laughs> dumb things in life that you're capable of doing. So uh-huh. as an educator, I was there to just present the opportunities and let y'all decide. So yeah. choose your own adventure. Right. But I do remember that. That was at like the Fuddruckers in Missoula. Right. So stupid restaurant so uh-huh. no offense to them but like very generic ch- uh-huh. chain food type place yeah yeah <laughs> muhammad and jesus dying that night though you're correct <laughs> it's so funny nice man i want to ask you as well like what do you enjoy about skating that you get out of it oh my um mm-hmm. uh i mean Gosh, there's so many levels and so many ways I could answer it. I mean, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not only something that feels good mm. <laughs> at the most simplest basic level. It's, mm-hmm. it's a motion. It's a, it's a physical activity that, um, that does feel good. I mean, dolphins ride waves, grizzly bears slide down snow fields. I think they do mm-hmm. it because it feels good. It's fun. It's exhilarating. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that element, but it's also extremely creative. Um, there mm-hmm. are no rules. I've never been one who's enjoyed playing per se by the rules too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in skateboarding, it's, you know, you don't have to do any trick. You don't have to do this or that. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times you could do some trick that's way simpler than someone else. But if your style is way better, it's way more, it's, it's way better, you know? Yeah. I don't know, but there's a creativity, there's a freedom to it. Um, there's not a restraint to it like there is in so many things in life. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a camaraderie to it. I mean, um, mm-hmm. once you get to be my age and, and you stick with it, it, you'll you'll realize, you know, so many people scattered across the country that still skate. And I mean, there's a mm-hmm. brotherhood to it, you know, and, um, but man, so many different things, but it's just, ultimately it's just a, it, it, it's really fun. It feels good and it clears your head. I mean, if I'm up on some 12 foot tall tranny trying to do something, I'm sure not worrying about my mortgage or <laughs> something I need to do back at the house, you know, right. die. so I mean, like a lot of things, it, it places me very much in the present. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a wonderful, it's, it's, I mean, it's meditative in that sense. It's, mm-hmm. uh, but I, but I've always enjoyed the creativity of it, the lack of restriction and, um, and the, the sort of brotherhood and camaraderie of it, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's artistic at, at, at the most basic level too. It's not, there's no right or wrong to it. You know, there's not many things I can say about that. Um, Writing is similar. Like if you want to know how to write a short story or something, I can tell you basic rules. Mm. But if you're a good enough writer, you could blow all those rules out of the water and have a good short story work. You know, art and skating have always sort of existed in my mind very similarly. Mm. Um, And that, you know, there's ways to go about it. I mean, if you weight your foot on this trick, it's probably going to help. You know, if you do this or something, it's going to help. 
as opposed to weighting your other foot or something. But I don't know, you know, you can, you can learn to do things on your own and, um, and ultimately you can break all the rules and make it work sort of, uh, you know, and, and writing is the same way. There's, there's certain guidelines you should probably follow, but ultimately it's a, it's a blank canvas in front of you to do whatever you want with it. You know, you can say, I'm just going to skate barefoot and backwards the whole time. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's no one that says you can't, you know, and right. that's what you're into. Do it. And you may, may have more fun and be, you know, whatever more than the next person for that. I don't know, but yeah, I, I like that part of it. What about I, you? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I, when I started skating, it was just like, it was kind of to transition from snowboarding into doing another activity throughout that time frame, so that when I got back to snowboarding, it would feel more natural again. And mm-hmm. over time, it developed into, similarly to what you're saying, this creative push to do something more and pushing outside of your comfort zone and going after it until you land what you were set out to do, regardless of how many times you were hurt, preceded by the one thing that I think strikes me the most is when you do get injured and you are still capable of walking, one of my first immediate thoughts to go to is, well, hurry up and land it because the adrenaline's in right now and you're not going to be able to walk in in about 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Got like two more tries, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, you better get it because it's not going to be easy after that. (laughs) Well, and I mean, there's always the situation where it's like, it's going to hurt more if you jump off this trick and you don't actually go for it. Mm -hmm. Because then you're going to bail or when you bail, you're going to slam and it's going to hurt. And I don't know, there's a, there's so many, it's such a head game, you know, I Mm -hmm. guess. And I don't know, people that play golf always talk about golf is so much in your head, but yeah. man, it's like, you half the time I go, you know, skate, it's like, I could do this right now if I would believe, mm. well, I believe I can do it. I'm just yeah. too dang chicken to keep my feet on it and go for it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and, yeah. But then you end up slamming and hurting yourself 10 times more than if you just go for it and keep your feet yeah. on it and ride it out. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's a funny head game too. And it's, it's certainly fun to, um, it is fun for me to, to have, have that mental challenge attached to it. You know, it's a physical challenge, but, mm-hmm. um, and, and they, they both have their limitations, but, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, my little half pipe in my garage, um, fakie, just doing a, a rock to fakie for me has never, fakie rock has never been something I like doing. Um, mm. I don't know why it freaks me out. Um, mm. I would rather do something way crazier that's more natural to me. And so every time I go in my garage, I make myself do a fakie rock upon my extension. Hmm. And sometimes, even though I'll do it every time I skate, sometimes it takes me two or three times to get the guts to try it. Wow. To actually keep my feet in. I'll jump off and just be like, dude, don't start this right now. Just <laughs> land it so you can move on with your session and have fun, you know. And uh-huh. But I'll make myself do it just because it's such a, a strange mental block, you know. And huh. uh, I don't know, Brown always makes fun of me about it. <laughs> did this but you won't even do that you know it doesn't make any sense i'm like dude that trick just freaks me out interesting anyway but there's that fun mental barrier to have to deal with that it can be frustrating obviously but yeah i don't know i've never um 
I've never thought it made any sense to slam my board down, to cuss my board, to, to focus. <laughs> break a board. To me, it's uh-huh. the dumbest thing in the world. For sure. Like, it gives me joy. And I remember someone was at my ramp once and was going to focus their board. They were frustrated. And I said, if you do that, I won't let you come back here and skate anymore because I do not want this in my house. And right. They kind of looked at me like, whoa. And, I mean, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I mean, that's just part of the game. Don't. I don't know. It's one thing to get like I'll get freaked out about it trying to land a trick and be all amped up and yeah, ah, you know, freaking out. But you you don't take it out on your skateboard and right. You got to land it. You know, channel that energy into landing it. And if you can't, walk away. Try it another day. You know, so That's a good way to put it. Yeah. What What is your comparison on doing? I I'm I'm trying to recall. Is do you do it? Frontside or backside, the nose grind in the deep bowl at the Whitefish Park? Backside. I couldn't do a frontside nose grind if you held a gun in my head. Uh, <laughs> How backside, does that come? Uh-huh. It's just something I've been able to do since I was really little that comes naturally and easily. And okay. I, can, I don't know. I can just backside nose grind most anything I put my mind to. That's sick. Because that's like, I don't know, is that like a 12-foot? I don't think it's that deep. It feels like it's because it's such a quick tranny and it's a lot mm-hmm. of vert and it's kind of, it's just all such a compact, like there's not much flat bottom in that bowl, but I think mm-hmm. it's only 10, 10 and a half feet deep, believe it or not. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if I went to any big tranny anywhere, I could probably do that trick um, just because it, it comes oddly naturally to me. I couldn't do a oh. fakie rock on the deep end of that thing if you, you told me that that was it, you know, I got three tries or else I was going <laughs> into the earth. I don't think I could do it. Um, I could nose grind it within three tries, you know, every uh-huh. time. And, but I think that's just goes back to what I was saying about us in the skate club. I and mean, everybody's got their bag of tricks. And that's one thing fun about skateboarding. And uh-huh. my kids kind of quit asking me this because they know the response. But when they were young and didn't really understand, you know, they'd say, who's better, you or so-and-so? And I'm like, neither. Uh-huh. We've different things you know and i, th- I think right. that's another thing that i forgot to say about skateboarding is uh-huh. it kind of goes hand in hand with the right or wrong you know side of it there's no right or wrong to it but mm-hmm. um we've all got our own bag of tricks and that's kind of what's cool you know and i mean mm. brown does regular rock and rolls and they are so beautiful um mm-hmm. and then he does backside 50 50s and they are so beautiful and <laughs> I, I couldn't do either one. Of them. I'll never be able to do either one of those tricks like he does them. And they are mm-hmm. just so, so pretty when he does it. And um, so I don't know. We've each got our own things we do. And mm. our buddy Brome, you know, he's got his frontside rocks on lock. And that, I can't do that trick. That <laughs> trick's crazy. Uh-huh. I don't know. Everybody's got their own thing. And it's fun to, you know, go somewhere and mm-hmm. everybody get busy and have fun. Yeah. I agree with you there. And it's not a competition. That's the other thing. I, mm-hmm. I never was into, you know, people winning at the cost of other people losing, um, mm-hmm. which is the way most sports events work. You know, we won, you lost. And it's like, mm. dude, when was the last time anyone lost at a skate session? Even if you got <laughs> hurt, you probably had fun before you got yeah. hurt. I'm like, fuck, that was still rad. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm limping, but who cares? That was such a fun time with my friends <laughs> outside in this beautiful place or whatever, uh-huh. you know? And that's one thing about our skate parks here in Montana. They're all in beautiful places too. And being St. Ignatius looking up at the Mission Mountains, you know, Whitefish looking at the Whitefish Range and the Swan Range. You're Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, Browning looking back at the the backbone of the world as the Blackfeet called it, you know, in Glacier Park and uh, Mm -hmm. the Lewis Range there. And I mean, it's just, 
half the time I just skating and kind of look around and laugh like this is unreal like to even be doing this here you know it's, <laughs> but anyway yeah it's not a competition either it's just you go and you, you have fun and you get hyped and mm-hmm. enjoy it yeah it's true uh-huh. yeah that all reminds me of everything you just said reminds me of when we had the snow skate jam like a while oh, yeah. back and i ended up doing what was it best trick but for doing a front flip off of the ramp and i sprained my ankle so bad that i couldn't even walk by the end of it but it didn't even matter because i was like i would do that a hundred times over because i had so much fun and everybody was just so hyped that it was an awesome time <laughs> it's worth it <laughs> yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah and that's just part of it i mean i think skateboarders just accept that you're gonna get hurt you know and you're going to slam and, um, and to be honest with you, you know, I don't think we, uh, it's not like we enjoy being hurt, but if you took that part out of it, it wouldn't be the same. Not at all. I mean, if you were going wicked fast around a skate park or down some street and there was really no consequence involved right? like that, it wouldn't matter as much. And I mean, once again, I mean, these are all parallels to life to some degree, but like, uh-huh. I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> I remember when I very first met Brown at Truby's and he was waiting on me and <laughs> somehow we got to say something about skateboarding. I didn't really even know him. And uh-huh. he looked over at one of my family members who was visiting Montana and he was like, I love skateboarding. It's like, it's a lot like life. When it's going well, it's incredible. When you slam, it hurts like hell. Kind <laughs> 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 of walked away and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much it, you know? And, uh-huh. but I, I guess the point is if, if it wasn't going to hurt when you slammed, it wouldn't matter that much, you know, and you wouldn't, uh-huh. it wouldn't be such a the, the sort of risk or the, the investment, which, which what I'm really getting at is I don't think the payoff would be the same, you know, I don't totally. think it would matter that it hurts, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's cool, man. With, um, one story that I, I know we're both fond of, of telling is the, uh, all the books I stole at Whitefish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that's still one of my favorite teaching stories. One of my favorite stories, really, ever, to be honest with you. Um, uh-huh. So uh, I'll tell this uh-huh. to the other people who might listen to this. Uh, Tilson is, an, and I think it was more my relative than as a non-relative. And so when he was in high school and I was teaching, I always tried to sort of keep a brother, big brotherly eye on him. And uh, but at the same time, he had to learn. He had to. choose his path and uh needless to say one day um well ian would always come to school with uh food in these baggies and uh he'd have granola and trail mix Mm -hmm. and sandwiches and just all sorts of stuff and so he had like ziploc baggies coming out his ears and and he looked (laughs) looked kind of like he was on some heavy drugs and uh his sort of this hippie outfit going but also Mm -hmm. a little little gnarly almost crust punk skater look to it and uh crusty <laughs> hippie kind of thing and um so anyway i think he was on the radar of lots of the administration folks and uh gotta keep an eye on this kid you know and anyway um the uh one of my fellow english teachers came well it was between classes and we, we would stand in the hallway and say hi to the kids as they walked by and we we're standing out in the hallway and second the bell rang he like shot over to me he's like you need to check on your boy Tolson uh-huh. I was like oh no and I could tell by the way the guy was talking that this was serious and he said yeah 
Mr. Audette, who was the vice principal at the time, came and he got him out of my classroom, took him to the office. Um, and it's one of those deals where they walk in and they say, Ian, uh, you know, come with me. Yeah. But I'm going to carry your backpack or whatever. And so he mm -hmm. took Ian's backpack and I was like, oh my gosh, you're serious? And he's like, yeah. And uh, so this other teacher, Mr. <laughs> Heights, and I just assumed that there was some heavy drugs involved here. And uh, so we, I rushed down to the office and uh, I find the vice principal, Mr. Audette, and he sees me coming and he motions me into his office and closes the door. And I was like, yeah, where's Tolson? He's like, he's gone home. And I'm like, oh man, what happened? Uh -huh. And he sat back in his chair with this sort of strange pause. To <laughs> he, said, he said something to the effect of Matt, um, I don't really even know where to begin, but nothing like this has ever happened to me in my teaching career. And he had been a teacher for a long time, in administration a long time. And I was like, what is it, Mr. Audette? What is it? And I just thought it was like worse than I could have ever imagined. Like uh -huh. I mean, drugs were the least of it or something. And right, right. I, but my brain wasn't even there yet as to what the content might be. And he said, well, I, I sat Ian down and I looked at him and I said, Ian, do you want to tell me what's in those bags or what's in your, your book bag before I search it? And uh -huh. he looked him dead in the eye and you said, yes, sir, Mr. Audette, I sure will books. And he said, I thought for a minute, okay, this is not time to be a smart ass Ian. Um, and he said, so I looked at him again and I said, Ian, I'm going to give you one more chance here to tell me what's in those, that book bag um, because I'm going to search it, you know, and this might save us some trouble. And you looked him dead in the eye and said, Mr. Audette, I'm being so truthful with you. There are books in there. <laughs> and, uh, had nothing else to do at that point, but open the, you know, his book bag and start searching it. And so he put his gloves on or whatever, and he opened your book bag and sure enough, there were books. Yep. And he thought, you know, Tolson was being, you know, a smart aleck because every kid has books in their book bag. Right. But, uh, what he did not expect to find were about 20 paperback copies of Walden yeah. that had been stolen out of the back <laughs> of Mr. Duff's closet and Mr. Uh -huh. Duff, who was the head of the English department. And so Ian then began to tell Mr. Audette <laughs> that he, he in fact had, I guess you just went right into being forthright. And, he, and that's yeah. one thing he said when you, when you left, he said, I bet kid never lied to me. And I said, he doesn't lie. He's, he is one of the best kids I've ever met. He's super truthful. He's very honest. He's got <laughs> such a big heart. He said, I get it. I know. He said, and he just straight up told me, you know, that he had stolen those books and that uh -huh. as soon as he graduated, he was going to hop some trains and he knew he'd need to barter for food or lodging or something. And, nope. and since he had just read Walden and thought it was a really good book, there was a lot of people in the world that probably ought to read Walden too. So it seemed <laughs> like it would have been a very, you know, valuable thing to barter with. And, uh -huh. I was just sort of sitting there like, oh my God. And I, mean, I had the same reaction to, just, to Mr. Audette telling the story as you, he did to you telling it to him, you know, and, and he just looked at me and he was like, I, I think this is all true Holloway. And I'm like, well, it's obviously true. I mean, and so he said, I took the books back. I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, well, where's Tolson? He's like, well, I just sent him home. I gave him a one day suspension. You know, I mean, it's theft of school property. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that makes sense. That's cool. You know, or whatever. And, uh -huh. and he's like, but he didn't have any drugs. And I was like, mm, that's, that's good. And he's like, I just, I, he just didn't know what to say. It was hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I was just more surprised by the story as I think he was in the unfolding of the story when he asked you point blank, what you have in the, in your book bag and you said books and yeah. He didn't expect that. It's a fabulous story. And, and I agree. Walden's a great read. People ought to read it. More people ought to read it. So. <laughs>
trying to spread the good word yeah. of Thoreau to the world. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I think if I also remember correctly, I met you at the skate park the next day as you were suspended and we skateboarded. Yep. Which, um, once I got out of school, I came over and we skated. So I may have even met you at my lunch break. Uh-huh. Who knows? But hope you learned your lesson. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't steal any more books after that. <laughs> it was kind of like, well, there were just these paperbacks back there that, you know, look like they hadn't been read in forever. And Mr. Duff didn't, they, like, we use these other copies. I mean, you even had gone to the lesser used books to try and minimize your impact on the district, you know, and, and your theft. No, I still tell that story. It's, it's fabulous. That's great. And I, I like what you said when we met oh, went over in Denver when we were at a concert together, that it was along the lines of on paper, it's really bad. Like I could be expelled for stealing all of these, all of this school property. But in reality, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have called the SRO, the, you know, the school resource officer and had you fully arrested. I mean, mm-hmm. that would have been I don't know if the, I don't think the value of those books would have added up to like a felony charge, but it would have certainly yeah, been right. a, you know, some sort of misdemeanor theft. And yeah, yeah, no. It, and that's the thing. Mr. Odette, I think was so, I think he had to pick himself up off the floor and figure out what the hell do I even do? In this <laughs> I'll just suspend him for a day. You know, right. I mean, what else? he wasn't going to press you on it because you had been forthright. Mm-hmm. What you were doing was strangely like an okay, sort of good thing. <laughs> trying to spread the word of the road to, the vagabonds on the train system and uh-huh. i don't know it you yeah i mean it wasn't the devious mischievous stuff that he was used to prosecuting none uh-huh. nonetheless so yeah i think he let you off with about as much as little as he could in the situation you know yeah i agree yeah he was could have been uh-huh. a lot worse oh yeah he was i feel like he was really nice about it and the funny thing is i actually came back to school the next day while i was suspended because i thought i had to be at some <laughs> lecture and he saw me and he's like ian what are you doing here i'm like i thought i had to go to the lecture and he's like no you're suspended leave and i was like oh okay <laughs> no i think he was taken aback just by i mean i don't know if anyone meets you they understand you're like I said, a, a kind soul. And I, I think you realize right away you weren't out to hurt anybody or do anything yeah. terribly wrong like a lot of the kids he would deal with. You know? Oh, I see. There's nothing malicious in it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great story. <laughs> so fun. Can't make that shit up. No. <laughs> <laughs> the look on my face, I can only imagine when he's in. Because what <laughs> happened when I stole... So I was stealing the books progressively, right? Like I was taking five at first, 10, and then like 15. And then I, the day that he asked me to come to the office with him, I stole like 25 books and put them in my car. And I was like, okay, everything's cool. I was a little bit nervous being in class, just sitting there looking at the, just the whiteboard and everything like that. And then I see him come in and I'm like, uh oh. And then Mr. And then he said, Ian, I need you to come with me. And my heart just sank so hard. I was like, oh, and uh, when we got outside and before we got into the double doors down to his office, the only thing I said to him was, uh, Mr. Odette, before we get into this, I just need to tell you one thing. And I mean, he's thinking drugs. Like, obviously, I have drugs. And That's all I, I was thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and so I look at him. He's like, okay, Ian, what is it? I just have to tell you 
that I really like to learn. (laughs) (laughs) And he just gives me this baffled look of like, you are the weirdest person I've ever met right now. I don't know what to do with you. Training that can, that can like make someone ready for that. That's that's so out of left field. I mean, he might have thought you were messing with him to some degree. Probably. You know? I mean, like, this kid's all looped up on his drugs, and he's messing with me. And But Mr. Audet actually had a really – I mean, he, he was a dude that had a hard job. He was the vice principal. That's a disciplinarian. And he had a good heart. I liked working with him. I didn't hmm. feel like he was ever out to be cool or to, you know, to – he didn't have the ego that I've seen in a lot of people in schools. Hmm. And um, he really – his best interest was the student. And so, I mean, I think – he probably just baffled the ever living crap out of them. <laughs> I mean, he enjoyed telling me the story. He was rolling, laughing. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, he liked it. I mean, it had a good outcome all around. I mean, it yeah. was, it wasn't drugs. He didn't have to call, you know, he didn't even call the cops on you. He didn't have to do that. That's what he normally yeah. has to do, you know? Oh, wow. So it was, I think he was happy with the way it shook out. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh-huh. That's awesome, man. So speaking of Thoreau and and this whole story of stealing books and st- and and that line of nature, how long have you been writing for? Um, I mean, it's something I did in high school, a okay. little here and there, a little mm-hmm. through my twenties. Um, uh, always been a super avid reader, um, mm. and uh, but. I've really only taken writing seriously in the past handful of years to where I do it, you know, every day. I do it as much as I can every day. It's, it's, um, I don't know. It's something that I even wish I I had more time for. And I know we've all only got 24 hours in a day and you don't have time. You make it, you create it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you make those spaces for it, but I've got two pretty little kids, um, or fairly young, probably clear way to say that um Mm -hmm. fairly young kids and you know my first job is a is to be a good dad and and then part of that is you know making money to put shoes on their feet and have food Mm -hmm. shelter and water and all that stuff and so by default i you know i do have to get up early i do have to create the time to write and it's not Mm -hmm. something that's necessarily easy to do but it's it's so fun and it's um Mm -hmm. it's something that you know, I don't make any money doing it. I don't think I ever really will. It's just, it's something that, that gives my life depth and meaning. Um, mm-hmm. If I can give back to the world through it, I can lift, uplift other people as I've been uplifted through literature and, and writing and so be it, that would even be a bonus, you know? Um, nice. Mm-hmm. And, but largely it's, uh, it's just something I really, really enjoy doing. Um, I, I would say art, meaning literature and music has absolutely carried me through life, um, mm. through the ups and the downs. And I mean, it's, I can look back and, um, you know, I know all the times I can still recall all the times when I read this book for the first time and the third time and the fifth time. And when I discovered that album or that band and, um, mm-hmm. that genre of music even, you know, per se. And, um, I don't know, you know, William Faulkner in his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech said, um, you know, it was his job to provide the props and the pillars for mankind, uh, mm. meaning, you know, to, to support through art. And, um, 
And so if there's a way that my art can be received, um, some person can buy a book, you know, somewhere down the road and, and be made more happy or more at peace or um, pulled out of a hole or called to activism. I mean, I would like to think that some of my writing will save grizzly bears and wild mm. landscapes as much as humans, you know, for sure. That's mm. like half the writing I do involves non-humans. Um, and so I don't know if there's a, if there's a way that all that can, something can come out of all that, then great. And, that, and that's just the artistic side of it. I'm mean, going to spend so many hours a week, a month, a day, whatever, um, doing environmental work. And, and so much of that is writing letters, is working on grants. Um, there's so much sort of academic writing that, that it's nice that I, you know, no grammar inside and out. It's nice that I can write clear sentences. And I mean, that was one blessing about going back and being a teacher a little later in life was that I kind of relearned a lot of stuff that I had let slide in my twenties. Um, mm -hmm. You know, post-college, I, I wouldn't say I'd, you know, was had the grammar sealed tight, um, sealed as tightly as I wished. And then, you know, went back to school to teach, just revamped everything. And then that, that really helps whether I'm writing fiction or poetry or, you know, any sort of letter to a Senator or anyone, I mean, or, I'm, you know, in a lot of the environmental stuff, I'm editing other people's stuff um, incessantly. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, that's a big help as well, but um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a meaningful part of life. <laughs> Something I love. That's awesome. Is there a certain, I mean, I'm sure you love a lot of parts about writing. Is there, would you say one, like one or a couple things in particular that you like or? Mm, I mean, it's, um, I, I mean, I, I aesthetically appreciate art. I find beauty in art. Um, when I read a beautiful poem or a story, I mean, it moves me in a way that nothing else can. Same with mm. music. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, to end up creating something that you can find aesthetically pleasing of your own is pretty fun. Um, mm. it's, but it's, I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's, it's a craft. It's something to work at, get better at, to play with. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess if there's one side of it that I probably like the most is, is sort of the, the part that's beyond me. Um, that's sort of the, mm. the mystery part of it. Um, I've never written a short story that's ended up um, like I set out for it to be or a poem mm -hmm. or anything. I mean, it's, there's something beyond you at work and, um, mm. and you have to give yourself over to that. Uh, you have an idea about something and you sit and start writing and 50 drafts later, it's become something else. Wow. Um, and whether that's you're sitting there and you're working for hours and hours and you go downstairs and, you get a cup of tea or something and you come back upstairs and you're like, Whoa, who the hell wrote that sentence? I, could, <laughs> I don't even remember writing that, but wow. partly that, but it's also, so it can be even at a line level, but a lot of times it's, it's at the level of even a character where you're writing and you think the scene's going to happen this way. And then all of a sudden the character does something that you didn't expect. And, mm. and, and you're like, well, how can that happen? Cause you wrote it. And you're like, I, I mean, I can't really answer that part of it, but there's a, uh -huh. There's a place of mystery and imagination and beauty that you kind of, you kind of leave this world for a little bit and you go there and then you come back and, and, um, and it happens, I mean, almost every time you write, if you, if you can put enough time into sitting and you can put enough of yourself into opening yourself to that experience. And mm -hmm. it's the same with, with wild places. And, you know, I might set out one day and think I'm going to, 
I'm going to climb this ridge and walk over to that peak or something. And then halfway up the ridge, you look over to this spot over here and you see this beautiful basin with a little tarn or something. And, mm -hmm. um, and the next thing you're walking that way and you're like, well, why am I going? This isn't what I set out to do at all. No, but it's what <laughs> you're supposed to be doing. And it's what you're, I guess it, what I'm getting at, it's, it's following, it's following something more than your own exact direction or, um initial mm -hmm. ideas of something and and you're giving i don't know you're turning yourself over to a to sort of a i don't even want to use the words higher power because then that'll immediately get pigeonholed into some some sort of god landscape with a capital g or something but <laughs> uh -huh. i don't know if it's intuition i don't know if it's a you know a place of no mind it's it's more of you know a, a, a landscape of nothingness where where ideas and things are, are born and then your mind puts them into into shape and form or something to that effect i, I don't know um but but anyway it's that mystery it's that that beauty that that you don't expect that surfaces um i've never once walked in the wild and not been surprised by something beautiful mm -hmm. and art's the same way so mm -hmm. i think that's my favorite part of it that's amazing and being part of that process, I guess, is the writing part, not just reading, but allowing yourself to to be transformed and and your your work to be transformed by something beyond you. That's mm. it's sort of, I mean, it, it sounds sort of paradoxical, but it's it's part of you and then it's beyond you at the same time, which is the way so much of life in the world is as well. So mm -hmm. that's really deep. It's fun. Yeah. Do you feel as though your time in nature and meditating help with your writing? Yeah, it's all the same. I mean, okay. it really is. Um, I think it allows you to, to tap into something beyond. I mean, the mind is like a mind is like Google or something. The brain, I should say, is kind of mm -hmm. like Google. It's like, it's this incredible file finder. It, it can process things at light speed. I mean, your body itself, I mean, physiologically, you know, an animal, mm -hmm. us, a bear, whatever, is just even a tree. I mean, it's just insane the things that we do. Um, for us to sit here and have this conversation, like, you know, zillions of things are happening at light mm -hmm. speed. And, you know, in the brain, you know, the brain controls so much of that, whether it's your parasympathetic nervous system, um, you know, the involuntary things in your body to the, to the voluntary things such as me speaking or my hand motions. But, mm -hmm. um, but then there's, there's a world beyond that um, of intuition, of mystery, of, of I mean, of, of the sort of nothingness where things are born. And, um, you know, if you, if you walk through the wild, um, I mean, there's no sort of more present moment for me in life than being in the woods or being lost in a story um, because I am so utterly present in my senses mm. and my thinking. Um, but you're also, I mean, you're not, you're not lost in the future where you're worrying about something or feeling guilty about the past or something silly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I once read that meditation originated um, from nomadic hunting cultures where you were sitting, you know, on a hillside or something and you're watching a landscape and you're focused on everything, but nothing in, in any sort of singular way. You're not oh, wow. in on a tree or a rock. You're, you're like hyper alert on the whole landscape to the point where you're not thinking, you're not 
but you're watching with, with more of an alertness than you normally would. Um, wow. And is a lot like that. You're, you're, you're hyper aware of your breathing, of your, your physical presence in that moment, but mm-hmm. you're also not like a dog chasing thoughts, you know, like a dog would chase a squirrel or something. And, mm. um, and, you know, I mean, if, if you sit there and you're meditating and all of a sudden you start thinking about some email you need to send, and then that leads you to think about those people that are receiving the email, the problem that's happening and how you're thinking of solving it. But then you don't really know if that's how they're going <laughs> to react to the email. And, you know, I mean, you're not very present if that's happening. And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember reading some neuroscience uh, report where it said, you know, it was like 46 or 47% of all of our time spent thinking is not on what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And about 90 to 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. Wow. What that tells me is that most people on a moment to moment basis aren't very present in what's happening in their lives. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, meditation for me, the reason I get up and meditate for 30 minutes every morning is probably the same as most people stretch or go to the gym or whatever. I mean, if you stretch before you work out, it allows you to work out. If you stretch every day, you're going to work out better. Mm-hmm. You're going to play better or whatever. If I can focus 30 minutes every morning on, on concentration, on quieting my mm-hmm. mind and being in absolute control of myself and awareness and presence and compassion and kindness, et cetera, then it just carries throughout the rest of the day as I move through situations i'm much more apt to be able to catch myself and say hang on be present mm-hmm. pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on you know quit forward you know future thinking or worrying about something that's happened and mm-hmm. but being somewhere where you're not and um we can deal with things that are happening we can't deal with things that aren't happening because they're, they're not happening you know and mm-hmm. um, i feel like a lot of people and i mean the reason I really came to meditation years ago is I was literally, I think, going to explode from anxiety. And wow. uh, I could wake up in the middle of the night and instantly my stomach, stomach would burn with, you know, neurons are firing, uh, cortisol mm-hmm. is firing, anxiety is firing, and, and I'm worrying about stuff. Um, but it's not even happening. I'm lying in my, you know, freaking bed. And, mm. and so it's like, well, either kill yourself or figure out a way to deal with this. And, <laughs> living i didn't want to die but also didn't want to live that way anymore either wow i I didn't want to take drugs i didn't want to you know i mean you can't self-medicate then you're only you know putting the the problem at bay you're not directly dealing with it and Mm -hmm. um and so you know now it's turned into so initially it was a way of i mean and that's the thing with the brain Mm-hmm. All the neuroscience shows that the brain is completely malleable. Um, mm. You know, repeated experiences, repeated um, patterns, just basically redefine you know your your neurotransmissions and it's cortical. What is it? Uh, cortical thickening, they call it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, in a nutshell, what's the what's the one saying? I always liked what you, you know what you practice grows stronger. And so pay attention to what you practice. And um, if you practice being present and compassion and kindness, then you're more likely to walk through the rest of your days that way. And mm-hmm. if you practice freaking out from anxiety, then that's kind of the way things are going to go. And mm. so initially it was just a way of retraining myself to be present, to not worry about stuff that's not happening. Um, I mean, what will happen when you get to be my age, if you're not careful, is you look back and go, where the hell did all, those 10 years go, where did those 10 years go? Oh, I see. 
and you weren't present, you know, you were lost somewhere else in your head. And, um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, my goal is just always, my goal is to live fully, to live, um, as alive as possible. And, uh, meditation has allowed me to, to do that like nothing else ever. And, wow. um, but you know, it's like anything else you got to do it. You can't say, Oh, I, I'm going to stretch, but then you don't, it doesn't matter. You know? <laughs> yeah. Talking about stretching doesn't, doesn't help. Stretching helps. No. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I mean, that's why you get up and you do it at 30 minutes every morning and you, you know, but then the neuroscience backs it up. Um, I mean, I was just reading this interesting <clears throat> um, report recently where they took tons of people. They started looking at uh, basically the, the left to right or right to left movements of the frontal lobe, um, mm -hmm. the cerebral cortex. And, uh, and basically left to right is the, is, is the sort of the chill side of, of the, the movement, um, the very calm, compassionate rational side, the right to left is the cortisol, norepinephrine, uh, you know, the hormones, the freakouts mm -hmm. of anxiety, the old, the fight or flight sort of old mm -hmm. lizard brain. And, um, and out of all these people, they, they tested, and there was this one monk dude who they tested and they're like, Whoa, okay. Is this just an aberration in our study? But this dude's left to right is just sort of off the charts. And so mm -hmm. was he just born this way? And then he became some monk and, you know, you know, or whatever, or did he, somehow work his way into being this way mm. and uh, then they went and took um i can't remember how many i mean sorry i'm, I'm being very vague on, on it's okay on totally okay body. but uh then they went and took all these business tech folks like out of the silicon valley or something i mean it was like <laughs> this different um different pool of people and they randomly selected a handful of them and had them go through these um these meditation practices on a daily basis. And then the other half, they didn't. And, uh, mm. you know, the results were just absolutely night and day on, wow. on the brain responses um, after whatever period of time it was, but it was only like two months or something. They did this. It wasn't like they did this for two or three years. And so huh. um, it just shows you, I mean, the brain really quickly adjusts. Um, you know, the old thing is it's, you know, it takes about three weeks to build a habit. And I mean, I, I think that's, that's about right. And, uh, uh -huh. the old paradigm was that after about 21, you know, your brain was set in stone. You couldn't change your way of thinking or anything, uh, you know, you old dog, new tricks. And now, you know, present neuroscience is throwing that out the window and says you can be 85 years old and you can reshape your brain instantly. Wow. But it's through, it's just through repeated experience. It's through things firing certain ways. And then, you know, the more it happens this way, the more that the, the brain will build, um, build those conduits through there and you know it's mm -hmm. almost like highways or roads or something and these roads get used more they're going to get more infrastructure associated with them these use less they're going to get less and so mm. but I guess the ultimate thing to remember at the beginning of it all is your intention and your choice you know do I want to be compassionate and chill and friendly and helpful and and present or do I want to freak out and be all upset and reactive and I don't know. I mean, I, I think people get what they want in their lives, whether they'll ever admit it or not. And, um, and we're typically our own worst enemies. Um, mm -hmm. so it, a lot of it is coming to the realization of what you want, but then you got to do the work, you know, you got to do the work. You can't expect it to happen if you don't do the work and that's mm -hmm. riding, that's skateboarding, that's 
I mean, if you want to be a good mechanic, you better wrench on cars eight hours a day. You know, <laughs> um, look at all the podcasts and YouTube tutorials, but if you're not out there doing it, it doesn't matter, you know? So anyway, it's meditation is wonderful. It's uh, it's now, I enjoy it now. I mean, at first it was kind of got to get up and do this kind of thing, but I knew it would work and now I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I'm amazed that the brain studies or the thing you were referencing to showed that much of a difference. Yeah, it's huge. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the original folks, when the, I mean, a lot of the, what's funny is a lot of the neuroscience is now lining up with what a lot of the monk homies have said for thousands of years, mm-hmm. um, as well as the quantum physicists. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's all three overlapping in certain interesting ways, but mm-hmm. remember when, some of these more present day neuroscientists started doing their initial research. One of them was, um, and if you get into it, even a, a day or two, you'll start finding these, these studies. One of the original studies was done with London taxi drivers and they immediately pulled them all aside and looked at, um, basically the, you know, the amount certain parts of the brain are being used and the whole spatial, um, and orienteering lobe of the brain, um, on those taxi drivers was just astronomical in use and size compared to the other parts of, uh, compared to your, maybe your side, your part of the, your same part of the brain and my same part of the brain. The reason was we were navigating thousands of roads every day. So mm. that part of their brain that allowed them to understand spatial situations, but also orienteering and mapping was just huge, you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, I once heard the, analogy that's like dandelions in a field or something like as soon as they start popping up here all of a sudden they'll just take off and you'll see them everywhere Mm. um and so you know even if you sat at a piano and did a little trill for five minutes a day that part of the brain would then start growing growing i mean and you know and developing from that repetition but that's what i that's what i keep saying it's repeated experience um Mm -hmm. but choose your repeated experiences you know because they do Uh what you practice grows stronger. And mm-hmm. one interesting thing I, um, that I didn't expect to discover, um, there's a lady, Shauna Shapiro. She's a, a professor at Santa Clara and she did mm-hmm. a lot of, well, she's done decades of mindfulness meditation research now. And, and you know, mm-hmm. this one first big, <clears throat> big prolonged experiment she did, she said it wasn't surprising to us that when we took, you know, uh, war veterans with PTSD. We took all these people that had these really gnarly situations um, that their lives were much calmer, much less anxiety ridden. Um, all these, all these basic things that that are very common um, as a as a product of meditation, because regular meditative sitting does decrease cortisol output. Um, or, I mean, which is the anxiety hormone. Um, it does decrease the epinephrine norepinephrine, sorry. And, uh, but she said, so none of that really surprised us, but what did surprise us was mm-hmm. the, the sort of the second piece of it was that, um, and this goes back to sort of the intention when you sit, um, she said, but basically it wasn't just, uh, you know, attention, it was kind attention and compassionate attention. Cause she said mm-hmm. what they came to realize through all these studies was that when you felt shame or guilt, it actually shut down the part of your brain that is a problem solving part of the brain that allows you to be creative, Uh find solutions. And she said, so if you do something wrong and you feel shameful, 
and very guilty about it. It actually doesn't really allow you to work your way out of that problem. Oh, wow. She said um, what they've discovered is compassion and kindness. Those, those hormonal reactions actually opens up that part of the brain and stimulates that part of the brain. So she said, it's not just attention. It's kind attention. It's compassion and attention. Huh. I think you've naturally known kindness and compassion your whole life. Knowing <laughs> who You are as a person, you've always uh -huh. been that way, at least to me. And, mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, a lot of people say she, she spoke about this one, um, war vet who, you know, was sitting in a room one day and mm -hmm. she was talking about, you know, self-forgiveness and all this and feeling better through meditation and all this. And he looked up and he was just crying and said, I don't deserve to feel better. Wow. Feeling, I do not deserve to be ever be okay. And she said, she was just, you know, like, Oh my God, poor uh -huh. human to, to, to view yourself that way. Yeah. And that was one of the things that person led her to understanding about the compassion and the kindness and that really allowing you to, to get around that guilt and shame part that keeps that part of the brain from allowing you to come up with solutions and, um, huh. and be creative in, in the way that you're going to live your life. And so that, that was something really interesting that I, I wouldn't have expected out of it. I mean, a lot of times I just think that's a bunch of hippy dippy shit, you know, <laughs> Oh, we're all going to be, you know, hold hands and feel better. And, and I don't know, I've always been such a person of solitude that it's like the hell with all that. I don't want to be around a yeah. bunch of people saying that shit. And, right. but at the same time, I believe it, it does matter neuro at a neurological level, um, uh -huh. which then of course carries on to a social level of uh -huh. you and other people. So fascinating. Very. I never I knew that. That was, that was mind blowing. There's so much cool stuff out there, you know, in TED Talks and books and, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's just, it's so much. Um, <laughs> and then you, then you go practice it and then you got something else to sit and weave into your life, you know? Uh -huh. It's true. It's nice to get the different pieces of information from where they exist and then see how they weave together, like you were talking about. Well, see what works for you too. You know, not everything mm -hmm. will resonate with you. And, and certainly, if, you know, not everything will resonate with you at, at, at all points in time. I mean, there's certain, there's tons of stuff where you'll read it and be like, eh, whatever, you know, and yeah. then a year later you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just weren't ready for it. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times you got to be patient with yourself and everything. And, uh -huh. um, you know, the, the poet Rainer Maria Rilke, uh, I think one of the best ever, he said, I mean, it's a super famous, famous, famous quote in uh, Letters to a Young Poet, where this person was writing him letters, you know, as a, as a novice poet, and he would respond as sort of the mentor. And, and uh -huh. one, you know, his famous response, he said something like, you know, just love the questions. Um, don't you know because a lot of times you can't live the answers and so love the questions uh, now and eventually someday you'll live into those answers and wow you know be patient and honor all parts of the process even if you have to to wait and that's the other thing i mean you can it's one thing to intellectually explain something or discuss something but it's another thing to live it and, mm. and to feel it and to know and know it in a concrete and real experience that's very different than anyone can sit and say, Oh, I believe in this and I, you know, this or that or whatever, but you know, you can't count the miles until you feel them. That's, yeah. 
Jones Van Zant said. And um, so a lot of it is, you know, at least for me with meditation, especially in, in writing is like, you'll read stuff and be like, okay, that's cool. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I, I don't know, sort of, I get it, you know, but then mm-hmm. like I said, you know, months down the road, you'd be like, huh, this makes sense now. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I understand it on a, on a living it level and not just a, an intellectual level of, of trying to, to comprehend it because a lot of times comprehending it doesn't really matter. It's more the, the living it piece. I can agree with that. Yeah. Wow. And um, I'm curious as well, you have all these things going on. You have skating, writing, meditation, you have your kids, you have your wife. Do you have a certain way to keep all of these things going in a consistent way? Is there a way you kind of juggle them, so to speak? Well, like I said earlier, you got to make time. We all have 24 Mm -hmm. hours in a day. Um, Mm-hmm. Luckily, I'm a morning person. I love getting up super early. Um, mm-hmm. That's a quiet time. So mm-hmm. it gives me hours before my kids wake up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you just got to do it. Um, I require a lot more sleep now than I used to, and I try and honor that. Um, mm-hmm. I used to operate on very little sleep and would just make make it work. And mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of work backwards um, from when I need to wake up and say, okay, if I'm going to get seven to eight hours of sleep, I need to be eyes closed at this point in time. And mm. so I, you know, I try and close my eyes between nine and 10 and then mm-hmm. get up four to six somewhere in there, depending on the day and how tired I am. And, mm-hmm. um, but the other thing is I just, I, I mean, I don't mess around, I guess. Um, I've, you know, I don't, I don't play with my phone. I don't, um, mm this almost sounds like a, you know, some moral situation or I'm being judgmental, but you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of time can quickly go down the hole into nowhere if you're not careful. I mean, mm-hmm. if I get on the internet, start watching skateboard videos, it can be two hours later and I'm still watching skateboard videos and that's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But you know, like, Oh, I see one dude in the video and then I go see what he's up to and watch yep. the video of him and her and this and that. And, you know, and I think it's easy to have that happen with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to, I don't know. It's easy to be mindless. It's easy to check mm-hmm. out. It's easy to, um, yeah. I mean, especially with technology, it's easy to do that. You can be sitting anywhere with your silly little phone and, mm-hmm. and just start surfing stuff, you know? And, um, so if I have 20 or 30 minutes before I'm going to meet a student or something, I've always got my notebook with me. You know, I never mm-hmm. am anywhere without it. I can always sit and try and write a poem. Um, I mm-hmm. can sit and edit some environmental thing I need to edit. I can, um, I don't know. I just try and never be at a point in time where I don't have something that I can't do. That's, that's very valuable and meaningful. Um, and then periodically, you know, I do watch a video on Thrasher cause I do want to check out for it. <laughs> five minutes or whatever i watch the skate line nbd every single week because it cracks me up (laughs) the skate world and uh Uh it's really funny and and it's a great way to spend three and a half minutes not doing anything productive and uh yeah but seconds in that skate line's over i'm right back into something that that i need to do so Mm -hmm. i don't know whether you're a night person or morning person i think the most important thing is just don't waste time Mm -hmm. finding ways to be productive never going to get that time back. I mean, mm-hmm. and you got to make it and you got to be hungry in the things that you want to do. Yeah. It's powerful. 
juggle. <laughs> <laughs> Power Fun juggle. juggle though. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of times I'm crazy busy, but it, I'm like, dude, it's I'm busy with the best stuff I could be busy with, you know? And yeah. And, and then I do honor the downtime. I mean, that's the thing. If I'm going to sit on a park bench, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and just like surf on my phone on uh -huh. some website to see what's out there. I'll sit there and watch a squirrel or I'll sit there and breathe. Mm. I'll sit there and watch the wind in the trees or listen and watch people and mm -hmm. just try and be present. I mean, I think that's the other part of it. I don't have a problem with sitting and being present. I have a problem with sitting and being mindless. Mm. Uh, and it's so easy to be mindless today with the technology and all the distractions around us. Um, so I do honor the downtime. I think we all need that downtime. There's, there's times in the middle of a hectic day where I will just sit for five minutes and say, I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm not even going to write a poem or I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to be aware of what's going on around me. And I'm going to enjoy being alive. I'm going to enjoy the mm -hmm. feeling of sitting in the sun right now. I'm going to mm -hmm. enjoy the feeling of breathing, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's easy to forget you are alive <laughs> and we're, we're like such creatures of doing and, and you know it's like all the things and the doings matter when really i mean in my doings i got a lot of doings they're all over my desk right now but uh -huh. uh, but don't forget you're alive and you're blessed to be able to do those things at the same time so, mm. so the downtime is really important but at the same time if you're going to sit on a bench and be present don't sit there and think about all the crap you're supposed to be doing honor right. that moment and be present you know and um or else go do those things you know <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. or go pay pay your bills if that's what you're worried about you know or <laughs> i'm not gonna worry about them i'll pay them later okay? yeah so. all valid ways Make to approach it all right uh-huh it's incredible i really like the way you are phrasing these things because it really gives a deeper meaning to how to live life. And even, and every time I get around you, that happens where I think of, I get, I get around, I get more influenced by you. And then I want to transition my life to a slightly better direction, whatever that is. I'm like, well, you know, maybe if I approached it this way, even if it's as simple as meditating like 15 to 30 minutes a day or, having that thought process of like, well, maybe I could do this instead of focusing on like all of the things over here. Maybe if I can just do this one little thing, this will help me get better at this. And that way I can improve my life in general. I think that's the goal just to be better every day, <sighs> to do better every day, to give back more every day. Um, a lot of my life has been very dark and very, wow self-destructive and you know there's a lot of students I'll work with and I'm like man I wish I could save this kid from this but the reality is I can only tell this kid what I've learned and what I know and this kid mm -hmm. will have to figure it out for himself or herself and mm -hmm. um so it's I don't know it's it took a while to get to a place of peace <laughs> to say the least. And, and then I was certainly my own worst enemy through a lot of it. And mm -hmm. part of me wishes I could have a lot of that time back, but part of me is like, you know, that's just what it took and it is what it is. And, mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad to be here. I feel lucky to be alive. Wow. Um, blessed that I can even do the things I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's cool. If you, if you 
you know, want to do things differently and change for the better. I mean, I, I, I think that's ultimately what we all want every day mm-hmm. is to be better than we were before, you know, and, um, but it's hard sometimes. It's hard a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Is there um, a certain piece of advice you could give someone if they're at a lower point or a darker place in their life to get to a, let's say, lighter place or a better a better spot? Oh, it's tough because, I mean, I can really only speak from experience, but, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a sort of singular fashion. But I would say that if there are substances involved, get the hell off of them. Um, mm get clean they will distort your thinking and your emotions tremendously um regardless of what it is even if it's what people would say is a seemingly harm harm harmless substance um Mm -hmm. i don't know you're never going to make really clear decisions until you're clear um so Mm. i don't know if you're down and out and you're using some sort of substance get rid of that first is what I'd say. Cause then you're going to just be left with yourself, which is a great starting point instead of yourself and something else that's, that's most often very influential. Um, mm. Beyond that, um, mm-hmm. re- remember the good things and pay attention to what is good. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's easy to wake up and, and immediately go down the catalog list of all the stuff you have to do, all the things you're worried about, et cetera. But don't forget you're lucky to be here, you know? Wow. Um, don't forget you're lucky every day to be alive. And, you know, and, and I, I mean, I still have to do this with myself and catch myself when I'm in, you know, find myself sort of heading down a negative, negative road for a second. Um, you catch yourself and remind yourself it's, you're lucky to be here. And then when you, you know, you lose people that, that, you know, you were close to, it's, it's easy to understand what it's like to not be here. (laughs) So, you know, that person's gone, that person was gone young, you know, that person was gone untimely and Mm -hmm. you're still here, man. Don't blow it. You know, don't (laughs) screw this up. Um, you're, you've got a responsibility to yourself and a lot of times to your kids or whoever else. And, uh, mm-hmm. ultimately to yourself though. And, uh, I don't know, just don't forget what a blessing it is and, um, get back to the basics of, of being alive, you know, mm-hmm. which is gratitude, which is appreciation. I mean, even, <laughs> even in the darkest spots, you can find beauty. If you look in the gnarliest moments, there's beauty there. If you're willing mm-hmm. to see it, mm-hmm. but that's where, you know, at least for me, the substances and stuff made it difficult to see uh, at times. And mm. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of a single person that was close to me. That's taken their own life. That didn't do it under the influence of substances. Wow. Uh, Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it just seems like the substances are always involved in the darkness. Um, and then, and if they're not, then, then at least you're at a level playing field with just yourself. And then you can, you can start trying to find that, that beauty and that, that peace it's in there, you know, you just got to mm-hmm. find it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you can't, 
people say, well, I'm going to start being good. You can't start being good. You just start finding the good that's within you and you're naturally good. You know, you just got to, it's all inside. You just got to look in there and find it. And you got to want to find it. That's the other thing. I think a lot of people, despite what they say, they want, they get what they want to. I certainly did for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. (laughs) It's just what I've lived through. (laughs) Wow. But I'm lucky to to be alive. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe that's part of it. Come out the other side of some things and you're like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. this is good i'm here yes let's enjoy this and make it beautiful i agree <laughs> not every day is a, a powder day as they would say on the ski hill you know but uh-huh. you you certainly choose how you want it to be so. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're right and it's easy to be present during the good times that's something i think it's that i'd make clear it's easy and things are going well to be present, to be at peace, etc. Mm-hmm. It's easier with strangers or, you know, friends to be cordial. It's more difficult with your closest people. You mm-hmm. know, um, someone once said, you know, something like to that effect, it was, it was some monk dude said something like it's easiest with strangers, more difficult with friends and the most difficult at home. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to be, at peace when things are going smoothly, it's it hits the fan that it's tough to to remain centered and grounded and, and full of gratitude and compassion. But most mm-hmm. oftentimes, when shit's hitting the fan, that's just life tapping you on the nose and saying, "Hey, let's learn this little lesson here." And you want to see it as like the world's against you, but uh, that's a pretty myopic, self-centered way to see it. You should really see it as okay. There's something to be learned here, and mm-hmm. because our idea of good and bad is extremely relative, and it's extremely you know, isolated to whatever's happening. And I mean, when, when you look back at things in life and you say, Ooh, that was good or that was bad. I mean, usually you'd say it differently 10 years later. Mm. You might not say that was so bad because that's what I needed to learn, you know, and I'm glad I did go through that. And I'm glad I did learn that I did suffer that or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and I came out the other side of it for the better, you know, whereas in the moment you're like, Oh, this sucks. This is horrible mm. or whatever. And, um, you know, but if you could zoom out to 30,000 feet, if you could fast forward in time, and a lot of times you'd be like, no, this is actually good. This is what I mm-hmm. need, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I do believe life gives, gives you exactly what you need if you're open to it. Um, you just mm-hmm. have to be open to it. And, mm-hmm. um, and just remember there's probably more to it than you're, you're able to perceive at that point in time. I can completely agree with that. Just from the reality of dislocating my arm so many times having an arm surgery and how much I felt that it really ruined me on a physical level, but also on an emotional and mental level too, because I basically went from being able to do 13 back handsprings in a row to a backflip, like just pretty, pretty capable physically to being handicapped to the point where I can't move my arm above my head without it potentially sliding out of place. And even though I went through and had a really difficult time with that, the more time goes on, the more I look at how grateful I am to even have my right arm to like have have the body that I do have. And even not being in pain is a gift to me because I've gone through 
pre-state, like early stages of dealing with arthritis-like symptoms. And I'm like, okay, how do I heal this? How do I fix this? Like, and it's, I think for the short time frame, like you said, it's really hard to see the bigger picture, but as time goes on, you can kind of evolve with it. And when you are more solution orientated, becomes a little easier and you can have more gratitude and you can live through the experience on a deeper level that you would never have had the opportunity to have had this thing never happen. It's not always easy, but it's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And you typically grow more from those sort of experiences than you do your little successes, you know? Totally. Yeah, there was a, a phrase, a, a skilled sailor never went on a smooth sea, to that effect. <laughs> oh, <man. That's> <laughs> yep. I love it. Yeah. I think you said that, Wilson. <laughs> I'm going to quote you from here on with that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. Dude, oh. my... Uh-huh. I don't think he's ever sailed, but he said this. <laughs> I've never been on a boat before. But no, the one thing I, I don't think he's ever actually been on a boat, but he said this. <laughs> Much less a sailboat. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, there was one moment, there was one thing you pulled out of me when we were doing that interview back in Whitefish that I always appreciate because I've had my own reflection on it over the years. And you'd asked me how long I was gonna be skating for. And I sat there for a second thinking about it. And I was like, oh, hmm. that was a good question. I was like skating in the graveyard, you know, just that's all that came out of my mouth. And since then I've got it tattooed onto my chest and definitely have evolved my life to be in that type of state. So thank you so much for having an impact on my life all the way. You really do mean a lot to me. I appreciate you. Vice versa, my friend. You're an inspiration. You always have been. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, even when someone says the name Tulsa, I just smile. <laughs> <laughs> and I just hear that laugh right there that I just heard. Uh, oh, I just see you grinning and it's, uh, it's a good reminder. That's awesome. Enjoy. Be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skate hard. Skate fast. <laughs> and skate fast enough. Uh-huh. It's true. <laughs> awesome, my friend. Any any I feel like we're at a, a fantastic point. This has been such a meaningful interview to me. Would you like to say anything to, to wrap up or Thank you for talking. It's fun. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see you on a screen 2,000 yeah. miles away. Smiling. <laughs> oh, funny, this Zoom land we live in. And uh-huh. I don't know, just the world of today is it's ever changing and it's fun to still be in touch. And we will skate to the graveyard. Yeah. And beyond. And beyond. That's a fantastic. Maybe I'll get my Ollie back in the beyond. (laughs) Yeah. Three wishes. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. (laughs) It's going to take off the road to get back. (laughs) Brown.
Brown says yeah. we need to make a bumper sticker in like bright orange that says warning old men ollieing. <laughs> I don't know. Proceeds of this podcast can go to that bumper sticker. I'm That's totally it. down to put all the money into that <laughs> sticker. <laughs> no, we should do it. <laughs> no man, thank you. It's been super fun. Yeah. Maybe we'll uh, skate together in person sooner than later. So. That'd be so sick. I'd love that. Well, call me soon. Yes, sir. You got it. I'll do the same. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Love you, Dawson. Love you too. Bye. Bye, Holly. Wonderful, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning into that episode. If you enjoyed the show, please reach out to me. It would be awesome to talk with you and hear your story. I always love talking with listeners. I'll leave my email, phone number below so that you can always connect with me. And overall, guys, just have a great day. It's always awesome making episodes like this for you. It's a real passion of mine, and I'm really shooting to make your day better. So let me know if that helps you in some way. Awesome.